Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaitan ar-rajim. Bismillahi rahmanir rahim Alhamdulillahi rabbil alam wa sallallahu tabarak wa ta'ala wa sallam ala sayyidina muhammadin sayyidina wa sanadina wa habibina wa shafi'ina wa maulana sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa azwajihi wa dhuriyatihi wa ahli baytihi wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsanin ila yawmiddini wa ba'd. So a couple of things before we begin today's lesson. First of all, with regards to time, because the 7.30 central time is pushing up against my maghrib. So uh, especially those who are going to watch the live stream. If you are on the live stream, you can enter your comments in as to uh, what you prefer. Would you prefer that we move the dars back one half hour to 7 o'clock central or forward one half hour? to 8 o'clock central so I can accommodate the, the Maghrib time. Or if you have some other idea, you're welcome to uh, input it. I can't say uh, we're going to quite function according to democracy. Uh, however, I would like to know what your opinions are uh, so that I can make a decision that causes the least amount of suffering for others uh, as is human possible because I'm a nice guy like that. Uh, so barakallahu feekum and uh, uh, a request for du'as in, in, in more seriousness for, again, uh, those brothers and sisters who are suffering all over the world anyway, and uh, those brothers and sisters who are suffering with this disease. Uh, it seems that every day more and more people that we know are being uh, touched and tested and tried by it. So this is a time for, uh, this is a time for du'as. This is a time for also cautiousness as well that uh, uh, as time goes on, the number of people who are going to get it are going to increase and therefore the chances of transmission are going to increase as well. And they uh, estimate, I read, a, a, I read a, a story that the Cleveland Clinic estimates that in Ohio, and I assume that much of the Midwest is going to be similar in Ohio, the peak is going to be sometime <clears throat> of infection is going to be sometime in late. Uh, mid late May, early June, uh, which unfortunately is going to mean, or I shouldn't say unfortunately, because the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's some hikmah in it and some benefit in it, uh, one way or the other, but it, it's probably going to impact the entire Ramadan, including the, the, the Eid prayer as well. And we should be prepared for that. You know, we should, uh, um, we should be ready for that. We should ourselves start to think about how to arrange our homes. Uh, in order to avoid binge watching Netflix and how to, how, you know, start thinking about how are we going to pray our salawat, in particular our taraweeh, how we are going to, going to fix our schedules with regards to the Quranic recitation, etc. We should, you know, if we haven't already thought about that, we should start to think about it more and we should start to fix like concrete schedules for what to do. Now, I've, I've spent uh, Ramadans in uh, seclusion in the house before. I spent Ramadans in the Masajid before. I've spent Ramadans in the Khanqah before. Each of them has their own flavor and their own uh, benefit. And some of the best Ramadans I've spent have been in seclusion in the home. And uh, really, uh, oftentimes the festivity and the, uh, the, the, the kind of pomp and celebratory uh, uh, circumstances that are there when you get to be with the community, they're nice. But true uh, spiritual benefit happens in those moments when it's just you and the Lord. And that's really hard. It, it, it's really hard to get to those places because 
they require first the amount of discipline that a person needs to cut off from all other things. And then they require a, an amount of work that has to be put in before you know you can get some sort of benefit. It's like digging a well. You're not gonna strike water with your first shovel full, but you have to keep digging, digging, digging deeper and deeper. And this is one of the times that those people who are careful about what they eat, those people are careful about what they listen to, those people who are careful about what they look at, those people who are careful about who they associate with, those people who are careful about their uh, sources of income and all of these other things. This is where it comes into advantage because they're already at water or they're close enough to it that they don't have to dig for a whole lot before they hit something. Whereas the person who's been kind of heedless of all of these things for the rest of the year, they're going to have to put in some time, you know, uh, working on the chain gang uh, in order to in order to get to that place where they can have a tear between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But once you reach that place, then your Ramadan that you spend alone actually becomes more beneficial or has the potentiality at any rate to become more beneficial than uh, the, uh, the the festive time that you spend with friends and family and making the friends of a lifetime and uh, bloating yourself with like overeating and like small talk and you know those tarawih prayers where you started hoping like when is this going to end and this and that. that that type of stuff is it's better why because in a salat Allah says in his book he said that the salat prevents a person from indecency and from uh, from sin uh, and uh, at least while you're praying, you can't be doing those things, you know. So in that sense, Ramadan will keep you in the masjid for long enough that it like offsets or mitigates the amount of silliness that, that a person can engage in in the day. But how nice would it be to have a Ramadan that's deeper than that, that's more meaningful than that, in which a person, uh, in their wakefulness and in their sleep, uh, they are in the re remembrance of Allah Ta'ala and that they commune with the higher realm. Uh, by their wakefulness and by their sleep uh, and with the movement of their lips and their tongue and the movement of their limbs and their body and the closing of the, the doors of, uh, of uh, and the, the inroads to the heart of uh, darkness and of, 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 of uh, evil and the opening uh, uh, of the valves that you know pump life into the heart and into the, the spirit. Um, you know, you can do that, but it requires some planning and it requires some self-discipline. And uh, for those who have been less disciplined during the year, it's going to require a bit of work that you put in. But there's no heart that can resist. There's no heart that is a, a fortress of evil strong enough that it can resist uh, haram and that it can resist, uh, sorry, it can resist, resist nur, it can resist light and it can resist the, 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 the barakat and the rahamat, uh, the mercies and the blessings of the Qur'an and uh, of uh, worship and of uh, this Mubarak and sacred month, except for if a person just doesn't want to have them. If they just themselves have made a staunch, firm resolution that they just want to turn their back on Allah Ta'ala. Uh, in that type of kufr actually requires some amount of ma'rifah, that type of disbelief. You know, a normal heedless person cannot muster it. It requires a certain amount of knowledge in order to be that evil. Like, uh, uh, like shaitan knows that there's no God except for Allah. Um, you know, shaitan is able to be a type of evil that a person who's completely heedless isn't able to be. So this is my advice uh, for everybody uh, to address a, a uh, an objection that was made by one of the brothers about yesterday's, not yesterday, day before yesterday's dars. Yesterday was a shama'il. Um, day before yesterday's dars that, oh, you don't, you know, you call it a Maliki fiqh class, and, but there's no Maliki fiqh in it. But hey, there's more to fiqh than just discussing how the finger moves 
in the Salat. There are many usuli dis discussions that underpin the fiqh. And, you know, if you don't think this is Maliki fiqh, Ibn Abi Zayd, Malik al-Sagir, uh, who put this book together, and Nafrawi, who's the commentator, um, they beg to dis disagree with you, and so do I. So please uh, don't tempt me to uh, revert to old Hamza, who, like, disembowels people on, on social media. Uh, that's a bad Hamza. I don't want to be that Hamza. I don't want to go back to being that Hamza. So be good, inshallah. Ask questions nicely, and you'll receive nice mm -hmm. answers. But this is fiqh. Uh, and unfortunately, this is part of the, 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 the calamity that's hit the ummah, that people think about fiqh only as in like, you have to wash this limb this many times, or like, I can't eat this chicken, but I can eat that chicken. And even though those things are also part of fiqh, but there's like a whole philosophy that underpins the entire sharia. Um, the sharia cannot be followed properly except for with a deep knowledge of those things. And uh, this is the 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 meaning of the hadith of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam whoever Allah ta'ala wishes good for that person Allah gives him a deep understanding of uh, of deen it doesn't mean that that person uh, only will memorize how many sunnahs are before and after every uh, salat so they can prattle it off with uh, uh, with uh, machine like accuracy all of that that's part of it as well we don't we don't say that's not part of fiqh but uh, that's definitely not the whole thing so we continue. He says, uh, uh, continue from yesterday. We talked about that, that it's not permissible for a person to eat except for that which is pure. And do not wear anything other than that which is pure. And here, uh, purity in a person's garment and a person's raiment and a person's uh, garb is not just that it should be uh, made out of something halal that like, you know, like you can't eat, you can't like, you shouldn't wear like a jacket made out of pig skin. I mean, it includes that as well, but also you shouldn't wear things um, that don't cover your nakedness or that will expose you in a, in a bad way or that are tight or that will uh, show the shape of your body to others. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we used to be able to, in America, say this is primarily an issue with women's clothing. Unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, men's clothing seems to have become that way as well. I went, I would say like in September, uh, out to the outlet mall because I thought, hey, I haven't had a pair of pants since, shoot, like 2002 or 2003. I haven't bought a pair of pants. So uh, I'm gonna go buy myself a pair of pants. Like I just, I had, I had this day. I'm gonna go buy myself a pair of pants. Uh, the type of pants men wear nowadays are completely atrocious. They're completely shameless and they're completely indecent and they're horrible. And I don't really know what to say about this except for, I think people have taken this whole thing about alternative lifestyles way to heart. That men's pants are fitted so tightly. Um, it's indecent, it's not right. Um, and uh, uh, no need to like lecture women about the clothing that they wear. If men are wearing these types of things, I remember when we were when we went to travel in 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 the uh, Muslim world, in the Arab world. When I traveled in Europe, when I was in high school, it used to puzzle me how is it that men wear these clothes that are so tight uh, and they're they, you know uh, they 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 look so emasculated and they look so. Uh, uh, I want to like not use politically incorrect terms, but they 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 look very contrary to to to, to be polite. They look very contrary to the shan and the majesty of being a man. And I guess American men dress like that too now. 
so we don't have to point the fingers at women about these things. We as men also have to like be careful about them. That doesn't mean that Sharia doesn't apply to the ladies as well. Both men and women don't wear clothes that define your figure. Uh, don't wear clothes that expose the aura. The aura of a man is everything that is between the navel and the knees. In the Maliki school, there's aura khafifa and aura ghalidha. The aura khafifa is uh, is everything that's between the navel and the knees other than the front and back private parts. So there's a, a harsh karaha in exposing anything uh, other than the uh, front and back private parts. And there's hurma, it's haram, it's categorically haram to expose the private parts. Um, but a man should, as a matter of as a matter of adab, uh, cover himself as much as uh, is at least customary in his qawm, which I would say includes everything up until the wrists and everything up until the ankles. And there are some other things about, about men's clothing that are wrong that I won't mention here, that deserve mention here, but since they're going to be mentioned later on in the text, we'll save it for when they're explicitly mentioned. But uh, uh, with regards to how you wear your, your lower garment as well. But a person should have these things covered in as much as having your head covered is a sign of piety amongst the Muslims. And it's recognized as a sign of piety to the point where some people actually resent it and they say it's excessive, but even they recognize that it's Arfan, it's a sign of piety. I feel like a man should have his head covered as well. Also, if not for any other reason, uh, then out of solidarity with our sisters uh, who um, who are legally mandated to do so in a way that distinguishes them from the general population, and uh, uh, that uh, you know, in solidarity with them, I think it's 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 good that Muslim, you know, that, that sisters shouldn't be the ones that hold the flag of Islam in public in their in, in their image. And uh, Muslims are just like undercover brother, except for when it's time for taraweeh or except for when it's time to give the Jummah khutbah or whatever. Uh, I don't think that's right. And I don't think that's the way socially that society should work, that that uh, women are the ones who bear the brunt of discrimination or bear the identifiable marks of Islam while the, while the men kind of like ice skate through life uh, uh, incognito. I think that's uh, misallocation of gender roles, if anything, because look, fiqh is, fiqh is a lot of things, you know, fiqh is a lot of things, fiqh cannot happen except for on the, the back of like an understanding of the way human nature is and understanding how culture is supposed to be, and people always say that, but they only say it when they want to weasel out of fulfilling an obligation, they will conveniently forget all of these things when it comes time to step up and do something that uh, may not be the bare minimum in order to do or to do something that will cause them to have to go against the grain of, of uh, what's popular in society or against the grain of what's popular in a culture, particularly what's popular in an atheistic, materialistic, kufr culture. And so, yes, uh, men should all also step up and not like leave this burden on the back of the sisters. They should also represent Islam in some sort of way. What better way to do that than, uh, uh, than you know, covering your head? Now, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, this thing about whether the head should be covered or not, this is something I think out of the madahib, the Hanafis are the most uh, are the most stringent about it. That there's a karaha for praying without your head covered uh, that's mentioned, and so generally it's it's them that are that are more stringent about it. I remember in our madrasa, you would not be allowed to uh, you would not be allowed to uh, go to the madrasa without your head covered. Um, that being said, I used to have my head covered all the time before going to madrasa for years anyway. Um, but 
more more interesting uh, than that is that actually having your head covered is a sign of piety in the ancient world. It's like a mutawarith. It is a, a mutawarith, a an inherited uh, um, an inherited uh, uh, understanding that, like for example, in the Roman culture, um, they would take their toga and they would pull the toga above their above their head when making a sacrifice. And, uh, um, you know, I, I imagine that like seeing a Roman uh, put his toga above his head when making sacrifice kind of reminds you of like how the aunties must look in a Desi wedding when like the Quran reciter uh, 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 recites like whatever you know and auntie scurry to put their like little this thin strap uh, 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 of a over their head and like just kind of hide underneath it for for, for the moment of, of recitation um, that it must have looked awkward like that but uh, this is this is something that the Romans used to do and it's not it's far from them being the only ones who used to do it interesting interesting that they used to do that and then paul saw that the romans used to do this and he wanted to have the christians make mukhalafa of the pagan of the pagan custom and so uh, 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 uh paul uh he rigorously objected to head coverings and part of that also is paul wanting to differentiate christianity not just from the pagan romans but also from uh, the israelite tradition uh, the surviving strain of which is rabbinic Judaism, but it is an Israelite tradition that the men used to have their head covered as well. And so he did that. Now, this idea of muhalafa of standing out and not looking like the people of other millas, not being identified as the people of other millas, this is an idea in our sharia as well. This is not to say that it's wajib for a person to cover his head because the old Christians used to consider covering one's head uh, not to be a mark of piety. You cannot make a thing wajib uh, based on such a delil, but I think if anything, it at least should be put in the scale pans that someone could make the argument of uh, the argument of uh, uh, of some mild form of istihbab of of of, of it being uh, uh, liked. Why? Because it is a religious reason that that people in the West in general don't uh, cover their heads. Wallahu, wallahu taala a'lam. Allah taala knows best and so we don't live in a you know someone could make the flip uh, um, argument because the sunnah doesn't seem to have like a strong dalil for having to have your head covered all the time or being against having your head covered all the time so one could make the 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 argument the other way around that if having your head covered all the time is a sign of impiety uh, 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 you know uh, that a person can make mukhalaf of that i mean given the fact that for most of Muslim history, uh, generally speaking, the people who led the prayers and the people who were the ulama, they would have their heads covered. The idea is that wearing qalansua uh, or wearing a, 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 a like a, a cap of some sort or wearing a turban of some sort was a sign of, uh, of being a alim and a sign of also kingship and nobility. Um, you know, I think that's a harder argument to make that that argument is going a little bit up, up, up river. But, uh, uh, you know, like I said, the, the dominant culture is what is that a person doesn't have their head covered in, in, in uh, you know, in, in business at work in formal, uh, in formal settings. And so we should, we should give some weight to being identified and identifiable as Muslims and making muhalafa of that in our culture. And I don't think, I know, I don't think that it's, it's, I think it's a bit disingenuous not to take that into account. Now, uh, uh, libas has to do with more than obviously just that. 
So, for example, there is a mas'ala in the Maliki fiqh um, regarding tahdid al-awrah, that your clothes, if your clothes are so tight that they actually describe or they mimic or they run along with the shape or the form of the awrah, uh, that's also makruh. So, for example, if a person wears a pair of pants, you know, the pants can cover all the way down to the ankles uh, for a man, you know, and then a woman can have socks on afterward, but they fit, they fit the form of the aura. Uh, that's that's not haram in the sense that you're not exposing your skin, but there's a karaha in it, it's makruh. And that karaha then becomes worse if a person does an act of worship in it. Uh, it, it could literally could, uh, uh, you know, erode the amount of reward a person receives to the point of, 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 of nullifying it, even if the act of worship is still valid. Um, and so, you know, this is this is an issue because people have like shirts that are fitted to their body and they have pants that are uh, fitted to their body, uh, not just women, but men as well. And so that's why you see the, the, the hikmah of like how traditional Muslims, their clothing were, clothing was, right? So this kurta that like they see people wear, the daman, the, uh, the, the, like the front flap of it and the back flap of it, it comes down to the knees basically. Why? To obscure the shape of the sirwal that's underneath it, which is also itself oftentimes so baggy that it doesn't fit the form of, uh, of what's underneath. Although there are some people in the subcontinent that wear a pajama that is like that is like she is like fitted to the legs, tailored to the legs, but even in that case, the kurta is long enough that it covers uh, till the knees because that's where the aura is. So the tahdid, there's no tahdid of the aura, there's no definition of the shape of the aura. And then those Arabs that wear uh, this gandura or dishdasha that uh, comes down to the ankles, also it obscures the shape of the of the nakedness. Uh, the Mauritanians, the Dara'a that they wear, uh, it's kind of like, like a Bedouin's sari, if, you know, if you will. Um, it doesn't show the shape of the aura at all. And uh, there are, uh, you know, like many, for example, people who wear small, shorter shirts. You know, like the Yemenis oftentimes or the Malaysians will wear shorter shirts. But what, what will they wear underneath it? They'll wear an izar, which also doesn't make tahdid, that doesn't define the shape of the aura. And izar is a waist wrap. And there's our stitched, even though the original ones, the Arabs were unstitched, but uh, still, it, it 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 is like cylindrically covers straight in a straight line from top to bottom. It doesn't separate the legs. Um, you know, there are there are people also wear shorter dress shirts that are more akin to the dress shirts of uh, of you know what are worn in the West right now. Like for example, amongst Kurds and amongst Turks and amongst the people in like some parts of Syria and things like that, but they'll wear a, a, a strange type of pants. They look different to us because the crotch is very low. So the low crotch pants that that, that, that the crotch hangs down closer to the knees. Why? So that there's not tahdid of the aura. So the fiqh, you know, the culture follows the dictates or the mandates of the fiqh as well. And we as Muslims in America, we should think about, you know, we should think about those things. Uh, we should dress uh, according to those norms as well, uh, not just be like, you know, like, oh, look, this is Islamic. Like, you could live like a kafir as long as you say bismillah before everything and, you know, your intention, brother, and your intention, sister, and blah. Like, yeah, I'm not saying that those people become like non Muslims because of their, uh, you know, because of their shallow approach to living as a Muslim. But uh, uh, A, it's not, uh, it's not, it's not going to be productive in the long run. And B, it's far from, uh, it's far from, living out life according to your values and it's more akin to um it's more akin to what 
just living according to someone else's uh, values and just kind of joking with yourself or pretending with yourself. And people are in different situations. Look, if you need to get a job, uh, uh, if you look different, uh, it's going to decrease your chances of getting that job. If you need to get into a school, looking different is definitely going to de decrease your chances of getting into that school, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're in a tight position, that's fine. Do what you need to do to get by. You know, if you're starving to death, you're going to die. You need a job and the job interview requires you to go in like, you know, I don't know, you know, without a shirt on or something like bizarre like that, you know. Alhamdulillah, Allah has protected us from, from such scenarios, but we give these extreme scenarios to illustrate a point that if you're in such a situation, then go ahead and do it. Survive. Survive. Save your family from humiliation and from homelessness and from uh, hunger and from all of these things. However, being in constrained circumstances, being in non-ideal circumstances, do not affect or impinge on what the normal sharia is. Those are exceptional circumstances and they have exceptional uh, rulings that are associated with them. It's important to understand what the sharia should be in a, in a normal situation and in a situation that is removed from those dire straits that will, uh, that will change the, the ruling based on an exceptional basis. In order for you to then also know how to give exceptions, when to give exceptions, and when to when to pull back uh, from said exceptions. So that's why we uh, we talk about we talk about some of these rulings that the the clothing shouldn't be so thin that it's see through. It shouldn't be so tight that it defines uh, the shape of the body, in particular the aura. Uh, that they should be the guise of the pious, the guise of the righteousness, the righteous, which includes having your head covered. Uh, the non-Maliki, the Hanafi Sheikh uh, uh, Muhammad Zahid al-Kawthari rahimahullah ta'ala has an excellent uh, uh, risala uh, that he's written on this issue uh, with regards to having the head covered. And he makes a very good point that whatever, look, we can pull out fiqhi, ibarat from the past, uh, saying whatever you want to with regards to what you think the status of covering the head is. The fact of the matter is in Muslim cultures, the world over covering the head is considered to be a, a sign of piety and that counts for something. Uh, for those of us who uh, like to, especially those of us who like to bring up urf when it comes to like uh, doing something that's in line with, uh, uh, you know, whatever the dominant culture. Um, and, you know, you can't just like bring up those things uh, when it's convenient for you to like fit in with, you know, your clique of like Karen and Becky and like Jim at work. And then afterward, like ignore it, uh, ignore applying the rest of it to the rest of the Sharia. Um, that, that's a fact you have to you have to come to terms uh, with and yes I admit that like you know the prayer is valid it's not makruf if a man prays without his he head covered the Prophet ﷺ did from time to time as well uh, but uh, we should respect the fact like if you're an imam in a masjid or you're going to lead the Salatul Jamaah or whatever you should respect the fact that this is the guise of piety and this is the guise of the the, the righteous uh, the, that that, uh, that that people would do this they would make sure to be dressed in a certain way and that includes uh, having your head covered and Allah, Allah Ta'ala knows best that a person shouldn't dress except for a tayyib. So it's possible to have your head covered and it's possible to have uh, your aura obscured and still dress like a thug or still dress like a, 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 you know, dress like a person of ill repute. You know, you have your like whatever your whatever, uh, you know, skull and crossbones baseball cap, you know, flipped backwards and you have your like baggy pants and baggy shirt on. And your pants are sagging, but your shirt is so long that it covers it up. And 
that's not tayyib. Why? Because you look you look like a person who doesn't respect piety. You look you're dressed like a person who doesn't respect. There's not they're not tayyib in it. It doesn't look tayyib either. So a person should be careful what they dress like. I remember uh, when I would pray because Malik, you know, this is one of the things he is makru for the Imam in the Masjid uh, to pray without a rida al atikain without a, 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 a cloak on, on uh, without having a cloak on the two shoulders. And so I opened up a, 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 a I opened up a shawl and I would pray like that. And uh, uh, an uncle uh, from Gaza, uh, admittedly, he seemed like a person who had some inclination toward piety. Uh, but uh, uh, not a whole lot of knowledge. He said, don't dress like that. Haram, you can't dress like that. I said, haram, how is it haram? <laughs> he said, the Jews have this, the Jews have this, uh, you know, this thing on there, they wear on their shoulders. And so you look like a Jew. And I was like, stuff for Allah, man. The Prophet Sallallahu used to pray like that. And uh, 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 I go, I go, most of the Jews that I've met in my life, you know, don't have like prayer shawls open. Most of them are wearing what you're wearing, which is a suit and tie. And so this type of like mishap and screwed up uh, 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 mentality or view of the world where you like will scrutinize like a thread of what looks wrong to you and then in the process miss the entire bull of, uh, of what's actually wrong, you know? If for example, praying looking like a Jew is haram, which is I guess if you're looking identifiably as a Jew, there's some karaha and some issue there. But if it's wrong, then two people are praying, wearing something that sometimes Jews wear. One is wearing what the majority of Jews wear and what the ones that actually don't believe in God wear. And the other one's wearing something that the Prophet ﷺ used to wear and most Jews don't wear anymore. Uh, to use it as an excuse why to throw away the thing that goes against the grain in order to like embrace the thing that fits in. That's that's a sickness of the age we live in. And people, you if you do that, if you throw away something of the sharia that has benefit and function in it and has nisbah to the Prophet ﷺ, nisbah to the ulama, nisbah to the righteous, nisbah to uh, uh, our forefathers, if you go throw it away in order to be uh, uh, conformant to popular culture, people say, oh, this is a brave new stance you're taking. It's so brave. It's so brave. What's brave about being a sellout? What's brave about wanting to do what the dominant culture is doing. That's just a sign of weakness and fickleness. And there are, look, there are things that we should change. As things progress, you know, like, fine, I'm not going to go to Makamukarma on a camel anymore. I'm going to take an airplane, right? But that is not a sign of bravery. That's just like a person using their aql in order to put things in a mizan and see which thing is more beneficial, right? But when it comes to the actual culture of the Muslims, when it comes to the deen of the Muslims, to jettison any sort of sensibility that the deen gives us with regards to ibadat, with regards to the acts of worship or with regards to ritual, with regards to creed, to sacrifice it in order to fit in with like uh, uh, Becky and Jim and whatever. Uh, where's the bravery there? Where's the bravery there? I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see it as particularly brave. I feel, I see it's like, uh, uh, you know, people applauding the first, uh, the first weak-minded person to collapse under the the pressure of, of conformity and conforming uh, to dominant culture. Last time I checked, isn't brave. Rather, it's the definition of being a lemming. It's a type of cowardice that can only come from stupidity, not from. You know, someone is like a coward, like, well, there's a lion over there. I'm afraid, right? I'm going to stay away. That's cowardice based on what? On knowledge. It's uh, a type of fear that's that's based on rationality, right? Whereas uh, uh, the cowardice based on stupidity, uh, I, I see this as more, more akin to that than Allah.
Allah Ta'ala knows best. So that you don't ride except for that which is uh, pure. Other than meaning that you probably shouldn't ride around on a pig. But uh, this is important as well. It's um, relevant for us as well. Why? Because people get cars that they can't afford and they buy them on they buy them on financing they buy them on on, on haram forms of financing and uh, you know one thing is the whole issue about islamic finance and which types of transactions are jayas and which ones aren't inshallah you can come read the law of sales with me which already passed in this book um, and there have been like i think three or four brothers who have actually read those abwabs with abwab with me although not many uh, and uh, then after that, there's a lot more advanced uh, type of uh, study that a person has to do in order to understand something about the modern marketplace and how we're going to take the, the universal and timeless principles that are enshrined in the, in the old books of fiqh and then apply them to a marketplace that doesn't resemble outwardly uh, uh, the marketplaces of old. Uh, so that's like a whole thing. We're not going to talk about it right now, but people should learn about those things. They should talk about those things. But what I will say is this, is that uh, uh, aside from whether it's halal or not, or haram or not, not everything halal is a good idea. Not everything that's halal is a good idea. And not every transaction which is permissible is necessarily going to be a, a good uh, uh, call in terms of business. And people will use financing in order to buy stuff they just cannot, they plainly cannot afford. And I get the fact that when it comes to like a home, very few people are going to be able to save up enough cash to just buy it outright. But when it comes to cars, many people will be able to afford a decent car in cash. And the reason that they get financing is because they want something newer or because they want something fancier. They want something that looks better and they will end up paying a lot more for that same thing that, uh, uh, that than, than even its price was that they couldn't afford in the first place. So, uh, you know, the Prophet وسلم, he greatly discouraged people from going to debt for good reason. There's a type of uh, borderline immorality in taking on a debt that you don't need to take on. And, uh, you know, it's one thing if you need to borrow something for your business in order to keep your family, uh, uh, you know, uh, afloat above water and you have like a plan to pay it back and Etc. And there's another thing of just buying a car that, you know, because it's beneath your dignity uh, to drive a car that's like 2010 instead of 2020, or because your stupid brother-in-law who you don't even like in the first place got a 2020 car, then you're not going to see any value in yourself until you buy a 2020 car. Generally, people who are like that don't have any value in them anyway. They try to cover it over with this type of not like dumb stuff. But like, you know, those are not valid reasons to take out loans, even if they're completely even if they're completely uh, Sharia compliant, 100% stamped, uh, uh, you know, your favorite Mawlana Saab and your favorite Sheikh and your favorite conference and your favorite assembly of group of conference of North American Islamic, this and that and other assembly of, you know, uh, uh, society of the uh, circle of the council of the American North America, Islamical, Islamic Islam of the Sunni sacred seeker of the whatever, doesn't matter buy things in cash buy things you can afford and buy them in cash save money for them and buy them and pay for them once instead of paying for them again and again and don't don't spend money that you don't have 
because by doing so, it will constrict your hand. It's a bad business decision and it will constrict your hand from spending on those things that, that uh, you should be spending on. And you, if you keep buying things in cash, you will like eventually um, be in a financially better position. You may be actually able to buy that new car in cash, or you may be able to buy the Lexus instead of the Toyota, or you may be able to buy the 2018 instead of the the the, the 2010 or the 2020. And you may work yourself to be being able to buy the thing new in cash as well, and you'll pay less money for it. Uh, but if you keep uh, keep yourself in like a debt slavery, you'll never get to that point. And it will cause you to be a miser because you're overpaying for everything. It'll cause you to be a miser with your relatives. It'll cause you to be a miser with the masjid. It will cause you to be one of the like undead legion of like free sabilullah zombies that uh, take, take, take from the ulama, from the masjid, from the, uh, uh, you know, from the khanqah, from the, from the free this supply and free that supply and never give anything back. And, uh, you know, you don't want to be that guy. You know, no one will guilt trip you for it. I'll guilt trip you for it, but that's why everybody hates me. Nobody will guilt trip you for it, but you don't want to be that guy. You want to be somebody who is actually part of the, uh, part of the working of the dean, someone who gives back rather than someone who's just take, 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 take all the time, all the time, taking, taking. Why? So you can pay for a car that's exactly the same as the same car that was there from three years before because your stupid brother-in-law has a different car and your mother-in-law is testy and you don't like her anyway, but you just don't want to hear this from her or you're not man enough to like, you know, whatever, tell your tell your wife or tell your husband or tell your, uh, uh, you know, your relatives that like we're going to follow Sunnah and just pay for what we can afford instead of instead of what we can't. Um, and there's a pride in, in that, in, 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 in rolling in a car that you paid for. It's paid off. It's yours. You bought it. You could have. You bought what you could afford. And uh, I'll say this much. I'll say that there's a hadith of the Prophet that a good life is in uh, three things: and having a good wife. And we can, you know, obviously in modern sensibility, we can say good spouse. Use gender neutral terminology. And having a good spouse, and having a a, a, a vast home, and having a good ride. Uh, in those days, that was a riding animal. In these days, it would be like a car or or something akin to that, um, whatever it may be. So that's fine. You, I won't even blame you for spending money on those things because you have to sit in your car every day, especially most Americans do. Um, although there's more baraka in walking. Mashallah, I did eight miles. Everyone say mashallah. I did eight miles today. Um, there's baraka in walking. There's baraka in biking. There's baraka in taking the bus and then taking the train because you're at least with other people. Whereas the shaitan comes to the qasia, it comes to the, the lone straggling uh, uh, sheep uh, uh, that strays from the pack. Um, but, you know, in a North America, you know, those things are not oftentimes, those are not even an option uh, for a person. So fine, if you're going to have to sit in the car every day and commute like 40 miles to work or to the masjid or whatever, and you don't have an option of walking or taking the bus or something like that, then go ahead and spend, you know, spend more money on it. That's fine. But don't spend the money that, that you don't have. That's not something that's tayyib uh, spiritually, even if it may be uh, legally uh, uh, above board. It's spiritually not above board. And our fiqh and our sharia is built not only on the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law as well. Uh, and those things all have to be considered. And we're not going to just use the spirit of the law and orf and all these things just in order to be able to act like the, 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 the lemmings of uh, monoculture act Sometimes applying those things will allow us to do things that are more similar to what is popular uh, in popular culture and dissimilar to what our forefathers did. 
and sometimes it's going to be the other way around. This is the way you will thrive and survive is by not buying things uh, and not transacting in debt, uh, but buying things within your budget and within your means and growing organically uh, in, in your finances. And really a good community and a prosperous community and a pious community spiritually has to be a wealthy community. You don't have to be wealthy as an individual. Poverty as an individual may be a spiritual virtue. Poverty communally is not a virtue at all. It's a complete fail and it will uh, leave the community exposed and prone to attack and uh, prone to victimization uh, in a way that, that the Sharia does not look well upon. Uh, so we uh, continue. He says, taskuna illa tayyiban," and don't live except for in, in in purity, meaning in in a house or home or dwelling or domicile that you own. That's not from ill-gotten property. That's not financed through haram means. That's affordable. That will allow your uh, your family to live in dignity. Um, that 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 you don't do something haram or do something wrong or do something. Uh, immoral or do something unethical or do something that is spiritually damaging in order to uh, in order to obtain that house it's just not worth it it's just not worth it how much house are you going to live in anyway uh, you know how much dwelling do you need uh, anyway if every one of your children are living in their own uh, bedrooms then don't uh, be surprised if they grow up not knowing how to interact and deal with other people and uh, you know uh, there's a lot of the things that we said hitherto they apply for this, and there's no need to no need to uh, belabor the point, inshallah. Uh, and that you should use everything that's used and everything that benefit is gained through uh, in a in a tayyib, in a pure way. Meaning what? Uh, meaning in a uh, in a halal uh, way. Uh, um, uh, 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 it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He says in his book Kulu min ma So the first meaning here Is the food but here also it means uh, um, Everything that Allah gives in his risk and every part Of provision that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives That uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Says enjoy everything which is what Which is pure which is tayyib And he says to the, he commands the prophets Alayhim salam Ya ayyuha rusul kulu min at wa'amalu salihan Oh, you prophets, uh, um, eat from that which is pure and do righteous deeds. And uh, it's it's said explicitly that 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 this ayah Allah Taala gave this commandment first to the prophets as a hadith of Muslim, first to the prophets, and then the same commandment is then uh, given to uh, the rest of the believers. Um, uh, and so uh, you know, uh, Nafrawi continues in his commentary says. Uh, وعنه أيضا من أكل لقمة من حرام لم يقبل منه عمله أربعين صباحا ففي جميع ذلك حث على الاجتهاد في القوت وتحصيله من جهة تسكن إليه نفسه بحيث لا يعلم أن للغير حقا فيه ولذلك ورد في حديث عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها أنها قالت يا رسول الله 
من المؤمن قال الذي إذا أصبح سأل من عيني قرصاه قالت يا رسول الله من المؤمن قال الذي إذا أمس سأل من أين قرصاه قلت يا رسول الله لو علمه الناس لا تكفله فقال قد علموا ولكنهم قد غشموا المعيشة غشما وقال الشيخ أبو محمد تعسفوا تعسفا anyway so the thing is he brings a number of hadith regarding the importance of making sure that like whatever risk whatever your earnings are that they should be from 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 the halal uh, because uh, uh, Nafrawi mentions that uh, uh, a person will not benefit uh, from any deed except for after having rectified uh, uh, his provision um, by obtaining it from a source which is halal uh, um, and so, look. This is the this is the this is the hassle. This is a summary, which is what Allah Taala wrote for you. Your provision that you're going to receive. Mm -hmm. If you're going to go hungry, it's written. If you're going to be full, it's written. If you're going to you know be rich, it's written. If you're going to be it's written already. And uh, uh, you know, uh, like Tahawi Rahimullah Taala says, and like the 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 wording here indicates uh, in its nuance. Um, that deeds are created by Allah Ta'ala He's the one who makes them He's the one who makes everything Everything is made by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala And sustained by Him in every second We cannot attribute our deeds to ourselves uh, In any way except for a, a, a very superficial uh, semblance Or a superficial uh, uh, seeming that, that we're the ones who make our deeds Really Allah Ta'ala is the one who made us He's the one who made our deeds He made our desire etc etc uh, However the, the deeds that a person does Are described as the creation of Allah Ta'ala But the earning of the creation So when we do a deed We're the one who earns it And so there's something called your ruh Your spirit that's sitting inside your body And it's like oh look Halal, I like that. Haram, I don't like that. Iman, I like that. Kufr, I don't like that. You know, zina, bad. Uh, uh, salat, good. You know, and it makes these decisions when, whenever it sees things, it makes all of these decisions. Uh, 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 and then a person, when they want something, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make an intuitive connection between the strength of a desire that a person has for a thing and whether or not that person gets that thing or not. And so this is why. Even though everything is made by Allah and happens through Allah's power and force, there is still, despite this being our, our aqidah, you know, there's an intuition that everybody has that the people who end up in the hellfire d deserve it and the people who went to Jannah deserve it. Why? Because that spirit inside of the physical body that's running on the system Allah Ta'ala has made, that spirit is making all these decisions and ultimately will say, I like certain set of things that will take them in the Jannah or ultimately will Allah be our protection. It will like certain set of, a certain set of things that's going to take them into the hellfire. And so the point is, is what? Uh, the point is, is that uh, it's a kasab of that person that Allah has written how much they're going to receive in all different types of provision. 
Now you have a choice and I have a choice. Do we want to receive that? Is that going to flow through the, the conduit of haram or the conduit of halal? There are two dishes that that thing can be served in. It can be served in a filthy dish or it can be served in the, the pure dish. So this is your responsibility. It's my responsibility as believers that we should have this ham and we should have this worry that that provision Allah has already apportioned to us. That's not going to increase or decrease one way or the other. But we should have a worry that it should come to us through the halal conduit, not through the haram one. Right? Cheating, lying, being a jerk, harming people, this is not going to increase your, your provision in one way or the other. The companions of the Allah, on whom those who lived to see the uh, days of the Futuhat, they were wealthy beyond imagination. You know, the Ottomans were wealthy beyond imagination. The Banu Abbas were wealthy beyond imagination. Banu Umayyah, both in Damascus and in uh, um, in Andalus, they were wealthy beyond imagination. Even the ones that, that we detest, there were streams of their income that were haram, and there were streams of their income that were halal. Even just the halal stream of income was beyond our imagination. Right now, we get happy, like, oh, look, so-and-so is a doctor. Woo! They make $400,000 a year. That's not, that's like upper middle class. That's not even going to be upper middle class any, anymore relatively soon. It's not a lot of money. It really isn't. That's the sad part is if we sold out for the dunya, at least you should look for sovereign wealth. You should look for billions of dollars or whatever. But like we don't, even that's not worth going to hell forever for, but the, or, you know, going to hell at all uh, for. But I mean, at least it's something, you know, whereas we sell out for so little. The point is, is this is that whatever your risk is, if you know there are people who did it the right way and Allah gave them obscene amounts of wealth and there are people who did it the wrong way and Allah gave them obscene amounts of wealth and there are people who did it the right way and Allah Ta'ala kept them in, in poverty and there are people who did it the wrong way and Allah Ta'ala kept them in poverty and whether you're wealthy or, or poor this is Protestantism that says that good people are wealthy and bad people Allah punishes them with poverty we're not Protestants if you believe that then you have an aqidah problem we're Muslims what do we believe? We believe like the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that there are certain people, Allah looks at his, his creation and there are certain people that nothing will, will rectify their state except for wealth. Allah gives them wealth because of his love of them so that they can, it can protect them in their akhirah because of their what? Their iman. And there are certain people, nothing will rectify them except for poverty. And because of that Allah Ta'ala will hold the wealth back. Why? Because if they had money, they would destroy, destroy themselves. Mulbi Hamza had money. Oh, you would see the types of debauchery that he would be up to. Who knows, maybe if my spiritual condition is rectified one day, inshallah, the Rabb will allow me to use large amounts of wealth, you know, in the service of his deen. Allah knows you don't know. He knows you better than you know yourself. The point is, is that the, the amount of wealth you have is not based on how good or bad you are. Allah gives you, he chooses it for you. He apportions it to you. So this thought that we have until I start cheating people, until I start harming people, until I start being a jerk about stuff, until I start being violent, until I start being uh, uh, like sly and deceptive, until I start being, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, poisonous, treacherous, uh, until I start harming. Life is a zero-sum game. How is life a zero-sum game? Everything was zero and Allah Ta'ala said to it, be and it is. How is, it a, how is that a zero-sum? Allah Ta'ala creates everything from nothing. He's the one who created. He had no need to need from his creation or for his creation. And he feeds all of them without having to have like saved up or gathered any treasury or storehouse of wealth. 
How is that a zero-sum game? If you believe it's a zero-sum game, that's only compatible. That logic is only compatible with kufr. Otherwise, you can eat, the Syrians can eat, the Kurds can eat, the Turks can eat, the Arabs can eat, the Desis can eat, the Muslim can eat, the Kafir can eat, white people can eat. If black people are successful, it doesn't mean white people are going to be held back somehow. All of you can eat, drink, you'll have uh, women to marry, the ladies, you'll have good men to marry, uh, you know, you'll have, there'll be enough for everybody. You know, we obviously don't misallocate resources when we're put in charge of them. But after the proper allocation of resources that makes sense, that's not wasteful, that's not a, a show of disrespect to the risk and the provision Allah has given us. You know, at the end of all of that, everybody will, will be able to be happy. Everybody will be able to be successful. And you choose whether you want that risk to be halal, whether you want that risk to be haram. And it's a choice that you make and that I make. We all make it every day. And this shaitan whispers in everybody's ear, no matter how beardy your beard is and hijabi and niqabi, your hijab and niqab are, and whether you're a sheikh or whether you're a hafiz or whether you're, you know, um, you know, whether somebody wouldn't recognize you for any sort of riyasa in the deen. Um, the same shaitan comes and whispers to all of us and all of us have to remind ourselves, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he created you from nothing. He gave you when you were a baby. You didn't even know that, you know, like you had to go struggle for something. He sent a mother to you to give you milk. He sent you um, someone to take care of you. You grew up, you know, you didn't know any of the growth factors and hormones that made you grow. He, he, everything he did for you already. And fine, you're big now. You have responsibilities you didn't have when you were in the third grade or when you were an infant or whatever. That's fine. And I get that. That's daunting. That's difficult to deal with. Uh, but still, just like he got you through that, he's going to get you through this as well. You know, there are dumber people than you who made a living in, in the past. And there are dumber people than you who are making a living right now. There are dumber people than you who eventually got a house. There are dumber people than you that eventually uh, convinced like some woman to marry them or some man to marry them. There are people who are uglier than you, that are poorer than you, that have less education. The same Allah Ta'ala who gave them, he'll give you as well. And if he doesn't, if he withholds it. Uh, being a jerk and being poisonous in the way you transact with other people is not going to help. I remember uh, a, a brother once, you know, he got an offer from uh, a tobacco company as a job. And uh, I told him, I told him point blank, I'm like, look, if you think you're going to like give cancer to people's like relatives and you're going to like give cancer to people's fathers and their, uh, you know, brothers and sisters and their children and you're going to harm people, you're going to make money through harming people. And Allah is going to let that go. Like you have a completely other thing coming. You're going to get what you're going to get anyway. You know, if you were going to be broke, it, you know, it was destined for you to be broke. You may as well make friends with being broke. And if you're going to have money, Allah would have given it to you some other way anyway. And that's the wonderful part is who knows what the future holds, right? But this is part of Iman is that Allah is going to give you what he's going to give you anyway. So if you're if you're the type of cat who's like, yeah, no, you know, screw that person. I'll sell liquor in the liquor store and people will get drunk and beat their wives and beat their children, get into car accidents, kill people. And like uh, in general, like be degenerates and let like years of their lives pass by in degeneracy. And I'm going to like eat and drink from that and I'm going to benefit from it and like go to the masjid and make donate. You have a completely other thing coming. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has something ready for you and it's not going to be good. Allah ta'ala's justice is such he forgives sins against him. But when the other creation said, this this is the one who came to my neighborhood and you know, screwed everybody up. He's the one who used to sell 
that liquor or that tobacco to my my father to my mother this is the one who used to have you know run that nightclub used to run this where this haram happened or that haram. this is the person who used to take bribes as a police officer this is a person who used to like i love it in Pakistan. everybody oh my uncle was a police officer my uncle was a custom officer but he's the only one in the department who didn't take bribes I'm sure if everybody was like that, mashallah, Pakistan, uh, uh, or, you know, why why pick on one country? It's uh, Pakistan's a good country, mashallah, right? But there are problems in it, just like every country has problems. And everybody's, oh, they were the only ones who never took a bribe. If it was like that, then 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 the whole world would be like a very merry place, uh, uh, merrier than Christmas. It's, you know, but like, whatever. If you think you're going to be that person who's going to profit and benefit off of the pain and suffering of other people, you know, you should get ready. That the uh, that the angels you know uh, show up to your grave with nunchucks and tasers and uh, 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 you know uh, billy clubs and ass batons and throw you like a beatdown that makes Rodney King uh, uh, look like he's in a nail salon. Uh, it's not it, you know it's it's not going to be good and you deserve it and you know you deserve it. There's no there's no escape from it. There's no way of getting around it. You know it's better earn something decent and buy a bean burrito at Taco Bell. Earn something decent and live in an apartment. Earn something decent and drive something uh, uh, dignified, uh, if if not humble and simple, and let your uh, let your glory and your splendor be in your akhlaq. Let your glory and your splendor be in your deeds. Let your glory and your splendor be in your charity. Let your glory and your splendor be in the moments that you have with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Eventually, it's the only thing that we're all gonna have left. Look, this COVID is like gonna hit. It's not even. It hasn't even hit properly here in America yet. It's gonna in America. It is going to eclipse everything that you see in the whole rest of the world. You will yourself see others uh, go into their graves. Maybe you or me, one of us, may go into the grave. Once we're inside the grave, trust me, none of this stuff that like seems to be important. None of it is gonna be important anymore. And if you think that that's not Maliki Fik, that's the whole point of Maliki Fik is that when you get to that point you know you you understood life enough that you behaved in such a way that you're not getting thrown a beat down right now because the angels are going to be more concerned with uh, uh with these types of things than they are going to be whether you know how you moved your finger in the tashahud or whatever they could probably give a less of a damn if you moved your finger uh, correctly in the tashahud and you you know earned your money and you wore your clothes and you bought your car and you bought your house and you ate and drank by harming another person, uh, by harming the creation of Allah Ta'ala, by harming the beloved dependence of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, you may have moved your finger correctly when the angels come and break that finger off of your hand and you're like, oh my God, this is going to be a very difficult time. What are you going to do then? Then you're going to say, I wish my fiqh teacher taught me these things because this is what's going to come in handy right now. All of it, 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 it uh, courses together. And he says it very clearly, and it's essentially the, the wording of a hadith of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said that you make sure that nothing, that anything you benefit from, anything that use of any benefit for you in your life is from tayyib, it's from purity and it's from goodness. Because behind those things that are pure and good, you don't get to haram right away. Behind them, there are a whole bunch of things that are doubtful. There's some mufti or another who will tell you it's okay. There's some mulvi or some alim or some reasoning you'll come up with your mind that will be like obscure enough that you'll think it's okay. Um, there's a bunch of mutashabihat. There's a bunch of like blurry stuff, you know, a bunch of gray area. 
whoever stays away from the gray area, that person will be safe and secure in their deen in this world and the hereafter. And whoever uh, goes into the gray area, that gray area is uh, is like what? That gray area is a, a place you don't know where it ends and where you're going into the where you're going into the haram. And the moment you uh, 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 stray into the haram, you violated the uh, you violated the sanctuary of the king, the king of kings, Jalla wa Allah. And once you uh, 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 once you violated, you strayed into that that sacred land that you were not allowed into, uh, and that unlawful land that you were not allowed to graze in. Um, that that's when uh, you know that's when the the sleeves come up and, and the beat down comes comes down. And uh, you know, I know some of you guys are some tough dudes, mashallah. You know. Some of you have some money. Some of you are smart. Some of you guys work out at the gym. Some of you can bench press 400 pounds. You know, some of you, uh, you know, literally, if you got together and plot and schemed, your plots and schemes uh, could make mountains disappear. But who's gonna go uh, in front of the Lord of uh, Lords and the King of Kings, who created the heavens, the earth from nothing? Uh, who's gonna go and like plot and uh, you know uh, fight against him? Uh, it's a losing battle, and it's uh, one that ultimately we we all surrender from. We all give up uh, uh, and we, we make Toba from uh, ever entertaining such a fact. One day may come, may Allah Ta'ala give all of you his love such that you wouldn't want to anyway. That you would uh, love uh, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala so much that you wouldn't even have to worry about the fact that if you got into a fight with him, you would get completely clobbered and destroyed. But that is a reality. We also should come to terms with that as well. Um, this is a reality and it's also part of the ma'rifah of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala uh, forgive us our sins. Allah Ta'ala help us to purify our means by which we eat and drink and our clothes that we wear and our uh, conveyance that we go around and, and our homes that we live in and everything that we benefit from in this world. May Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala make it pure and clean. Allahumma kfina bihalalika an haramika wa aghnina bifadlika amman siwak. Oh Allah make sufficient for us your halal uh, so that we don't need to worry about your haram and uh, free us of need. Uh, by uh, depending on you, free us of need from anyone other than you. Ya Allah, uh, our brothers and sisters who are suffering from anything, including those who are suffering from this virus, Ya Allah, give them a makhraj and an exit from their worries and their concerns and their problems and their sicknesses and their sufferings. Ya Allah, whoever whoever is good to your creation, whoever is good to the ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ya Allah, give them from your lutf and from your karam and from your, your minna, Ya Allah. Give them from your generosity and from your kindness and from your gentleness in this world and the hereafter. And anyone who wishes ill to the Ummah of the Prophet وسلم, or to your creation, Ya Allah, use this, use this, uh, any of these means you made or any means you wish to make or uh, without any means, Ya Allah, protect us from them and take them away from us and uh, uh, protect your creation from them. Ya Allah, and bar them from, from being able to harm any of us and deal with them uh, according to what they deserve. Uh, ya Allah, get us through all of these things and let us die on Iman and make uh, with the moment we die, make our last words, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and accept it from us and make what's in front of us uh, better uh, and more beloved to us and uh, uh, something that we have more desire for than what's behind us on that day. 
give us to drink from the hawl of your Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, a drink that we never thirst again, that will inoculate us against the horrors of the Day of Judgment and give us a maqam forever and ever uh, in, in Jannah with your awliya ma'al fa'izin that we enter from any of the eight gates we wish. Ya Allah, even though we admit right now from beforehand that we don't deserve it. If, ya Allah, if you accept the ameen of anyone from this ummah, Ya Allah, from the barakah of that ameen that you accept, Ya Allah, then accept it for all of us as well. Sallallahu tabarak wa ta'ala wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.